Acts chapter 14. This We are reaching kind of the conclusion of uh, the first missionary journey. And so, again, if you're new to Refuge, we, uh, we are big on expository preaching, verse-by-verse preaching through the text. And so uh, we like to make sure we cover all the verses because we don't like to skip over the hard stuff. Uh, we cover all the hard stuff, all the fun stuff, all the things we get to. We believe that the Scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so uh, we want to make sure we cover everything that the Lord would have for us. And today, as we've been preaching through Acts, we find ourselves in chapter 14, and this will find ourselves in the city of Iconium. So Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 18, we'll read that, and then we'll come back and jump into the text. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Hallelujah. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. When an attempt was made, both by the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers, to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of uh, Lyconia, and the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Verse 8. Now in Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, In Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in their likeness of men. Barnabas they call Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance to the city brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, who are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring to you good news that if you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and that all is in them, in past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. That's where we'll stop, and that's where we'll preach through that text today. Let me pray for us again. We'll jump in. God, again, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true. Thank you, God, that uh, you give us, you preserve this for us to know you more and know you more intimately. Do a good work in us, Holy Spirit. Use me as you see fit. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's jump in. Uh, Verse 1, here's what our text said. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that great numbers of other Jews and Greeks believed. And so the leaders of the synagogue in Antioch had just expelled Paul and Barnabas. They had kicked them out from that city. But when they came to Iconium, uh, as they had been sent out of the way, they came to Iconium and they began their evangelistic efforts by starting to preach there. They started we went straight to the synagogues and said, hey, we got kicked out of the last place, but we're going to keep going here. It was still a good way to start. Like, hey man, this is where we were. This is who God has sent us to do. And they didn't get derailed just because they had been kicked out of one place and headed to another. So they go where the people were. They go where they had been sent They go where some people had just at least some interest in the things of God. They would preach the gospel, and they would move on. They'd preach the gospel, and they would move on. They'd preach the gospel, and then move on. You see a pattern here? Is it just me? Yeah. See a pattern here? Okay, yeah. So that's what they did. They preached the gospel and move on. So, yes, they had opposition. We read that about that in the text today. But Paul and Barnabas, the text tells us, had success among the Jews and the Greeks, and they presented the same gospel to both. The same gospel was preached to the Jews. The same gospel was preached to the non-Jews. They didn't water it down. They didn't say, hey, let me preach it this way to this group or this way to another group. The gospel is what it is. The same gospel to, to both. 
And so the fact that they preached it that way shows that Paul preached it consistently throughout his ministry. He didn't water it down. Why? Because there's only one gospel. Okay? There's no finding another gospel for a different group or finding a gospel that you're going to soft play it to to another group. There's only one gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel says that salvation is found in Jesus alone. And we appropriate that belief, or we trust in that belief, or we trust in Jesus, or we rely on Jesus, or we put our faith in Jesus. And what do you mean by that, preacher? What I mean by that is we trust that, just as the scriptures tell us, he was born of a virgin. He didn't have an earthly father, but the scriptures teach us that he was born of a virgin, and that the life that he lived was a sinless life. The Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way, just like you are. Think about the last time you were tempted. You remember when that was? On the way here? You walked in, lusting over this building. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, That was me, sorry. Uh, Just whatever that last time you were tempted. The Scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way like you have been. Yet, he did it without sin. Scriptures tell us that then he, that, that the Jewish leaders then took him and hung him on a cross. But by, Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down for my people. Though they went through the process, Jesus was the one that said, I am the one who is laying my life down. So Jesus gave his life up. His death satisfied the wrath of God. What do you mean, preacher? What I mean is that all of your sin deserves the wrath of God to fall on you. Yours and my sin deserves the wrath of God to fall on us because we are sinning, not just even against one another, but we're sinning against a righteous and holy God. And the scripture tells us that the wrath of God should be poured out on us. And the only way that the wrath of God does not get poured out on you and does not get poured out on me is that our sins have been propitiated. That's a good $10 word. That means there is someone who has gone in between and someone who has faced the wrath of God and taken the wrath of God on our place so we don't have to face the wrath of God. The wrath of God was satisfied by Jesus' sinless life and his death on the cross. And his death on the cross is where God laid his wrath on Jesus, okay? So you don't have to face that if you're in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are outside the, the, the household of faith, who have not repented of your sins, who have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, the wrath of God still is on you. That's a sad and a scary place to be for the wrath of God to be on you. And short of you repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, his sinless life, his death on the cross, that you don't have to die a death facing the wrath of God. Yes, you will die, but that's just your mortal body. Your spirit will continue to live forever. Your spirit will either continue to live in the, in the glorious basking in, in the goodness of God, or your spirit will live where it is facing the wrath of God for eternity. Scripture's very clear about that. And so the good news of the gospel says that you don't have to face the wrath of God. The good news of the gospel says that someone has already done that in your place. And that's Jesus. So they went on preaching that very message that even the wrath of God was laid on Jesus and he died, in a, he died a, a death that we all deserve to die, was buried in a tomb, but praise God, he was raised three days later. Victory over hell, victory over death, victory over sin. All the things he was victorious over. We don't serve a God who is dead. There are lots of world religions that serve dead gods, so-called gods, little g gods. We serve the God who is resurrected, who victory over sin and hell and death and the grave. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's the gospel that these guys were preaching, that Paul and Barnabas continued to go on preaching. They had just been kicked out of the previous city for doing this very thing, which is the gospel, for preaching the gospel. Yet they continued on. Why do you think they continued on? Why don't you tell us, preacher? Why were they so steadfast? Think about this. They had just been kicked out of the city. Yet they said, okay, we'll go to the next city. 
and they continued to preach the gospel. They were steadfast. Why were they so steadfast? Why such resolve to preach the gospel again and again? Why not just retreat away and go, man, we gave it a good shot. I'll tell you why. Because they believed this gospel. They believed it with all that was in there. They believed that they served a God who was resurrected from the dead. That Jesus was actually alive. That Jesus had, yes, they saw him die on a cross, bleed, suffer, bleed, and die, be put into a tomb, but they believed that he was raised from the dead. They saw him with their own eyes. They saw him do many works with their own eyes, and they continued to proclaim this very gospel. It changed their lives. And then Jesus, before he was ascended back into the, to the Father, said he commanded them to go and do that. And so they believed the resurrected Jesus and they got about the business that he sent them to do. Which begs the question for each of us to consider. Why do you and me, why do we not hearken to that same command? These apostles were not saved any differently than you or I are. Why do we not hearken to that same command? To go and make disciples, to proclaim the good news of the gospel unashamedly. Is it fear? Probably, for a lot of us, it's fear. Fear of rejection, fear of ostracizing, fear that you may not say the right, say, right thing. That doesn't change the command, okay? It doesn't change what we've been instructed to do. The most loving thing that you can do for a person is to share the good news that there is hope both now in this life and after, and it's found in Jesus Christ. Be bold in the power of the Holy Spirit and trust Him to do the work. You can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. I can preach my guts out up here. And I can't save anybody until the Holy Spirit moves within you. None of you will be saved. But it is my dear and my, my utmost desire for all of you to be saved. For all of you to know the resurrected Jesus, the, the power of His resurrection. Let's keep, let's keep going. How, how happy would it make many of the people in Iconium, how happy would they be after they had heard the life-changing message of the gospel? I mean, the people that had heard the gospel and, and repented of their sins and believed the gospel, how happy would they have to be? I mean, on, on other occasions, Paul would stay in a region for a long time. He would spend a lot of time wherever he was. He would spend a lot of time just going and staying and being steadfast wherever he was. Um, and, and, and sometimes when he would stay a long time, his evangelical efforts bore a lot of fruit. But the reality was he was kind of pushed out and was sent out and had to go out and he ended up, ended up, ended up, ended up <laughs> I'm stuck up here. <laughs> Ended up in Iconium, and I can guarantee you the Iconians were really, those that repented and believed the gospel were really glad that he was there. Isn't it cool to think that even in uh, their persecution, Paul and Barnabas' persecution, that God was in the middle of it? Think about that now. Usually whenever you and I get persecuted for something because of our faith, then we go, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're getting persecuted for this. And I can't believe people are at me because I believe in Jesus and I want to tell them about it. And I'm just going to shut my mouth. Uh, that's where a lot of us react. I'm not going to say anything again. I made somebody mad last time I talked about Jesus. And so we kind of shut down and draw ourselves down because we're afraid of that persecution or afraid of that, not even persecution, we're afraid just a little bit of that pushback. And so, but think about this, that God was still at work even in the persecution because he was driving uh, Paul and Barnabas out of one city and into the next city. So rather than him, God wanting them to be in a place, he was like, no, no, no. I'm going to move you on out and I'm going to move you to this next city because I want to preach the gospel and that's, I want you to preach the gospel in that city because I've got people there that I'm going to save as well. And I'm going to send you to proclaim the gospel so they can hear the gospel and that's the way, that's the means by which salvation is going to come to those people. How cool is that? So think about that. Even in your discomfort or even in a place where you're going, man, I'm being a little bit persecuted for my faith and it kind of moves you maybe into a different group of people, a different group of friends, even a different place to live, a different job maybe. Sometimes it's not necessarily a bad thing. 
Sometimes it's the hand of God at work so he can use you, not in the place where you were, but the place he's sending you to. That's what we see happening here even in these cities. Paul and Barnabas, and when they got there, they presented the gospel in a way that invited people to believe. They encouraged people to believe in the message of who Jesus is and what he had done for them. It's our desire to do that same thing at Refuge Church. Boldly declare the good news of the gospel from the scriptures. Demonstrate that Jesus is the only way. We're not going to be ashamed of that here at Refuge. We haven't been for 15 years. Surroundings don't change that. How we do things don't change that. But demonstrate that Jesus is the only way and the only hope for each of us, for each of you, where you are. Jesus is your only hope. And I'll invite you today to repent of your sins, which means to go, I recognize that I'm sinning against the holy God, and I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to keep offending the lover of my soul, the one who spoke the world into existence and knows me intimately. I don't want to keep sinning against him. Recognize that I'm sinning, that you're sinning against God and invite you to repent, which means to turn away from your sin and turn to the one who gave his life for you. And that's Jesus. Jesus was born. He lived a life, died a death, was buried, rose from the dead, and offers eternal life to you today. Later today, we're going to baptize somebody that's near and dear to my heart, my son. And I'm so excited about that very thing. He believes all this stuff that I just said. He believes it all. And he would want me to tell you, Paul and Barnabas would want me to tell you that you can know Jesus today too. Repent. Believe the gospel. That's what they preached in. That's what we preach today. Let's keep going. Verse 2. <laughs> this reminds me of the first sermon. <laughs> that one went about an hour and 20 minutes. Verse 2. <laughs> Two through six. How about that? But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some of the apostles, when the attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And so, let's make it clear that it was not all the Jews of Iconium who did this because many believed. That's what we just learned in Acts chapter 14, verse 1, that many of them believed. So it wasn't all the Jewish people there that were necessarily against them. The Scripture tells us that the unbelie- it was the unbelieving Jews who were driving them out of the city. And so it wasn't all of them, but those who didn't believe did not like the message of the gospel being proclaimed. So some not only rejected the message, but also stirred up others so that they would feel the same way. Can you believe that they're saying this message? Can you believe that they're going against our traditions? Can you believe that they're preaching something different than we've ever told or ever told before? And they, so the unbelieving people stirred up the other unbelieving people against him during that time. So, man, let me tell you, um, and many of you know this firsthand, and it's probably very fresh um, with you today. Um, When you become a follower of Jesus, the enemy goes on full offensive. Can I get amen? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes the enemy goes on full offensive, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Satan is at work at all times, blinding the eyes of many, even many of you who don't believe today. Satan is at work blinding the eyes of even you today if you don't believe yet. You may not believe the Bible is true. You don't believe that Jesus is who he said he is. You may not believe that um, salvation from your sins and the gift of eternal life can be yours even today. Even if you turn to Jesus, you may not believe those things today. And the enemy, Satan, is hard at work right now trying to get you to still believe that, despite what I am urgently and passionately trying to tell you today. He is just 
and even more so, hard at work trying to get you to stay in your sin and stay in your disbelief. And at the same time, our enemy is still hard at work on you believers, especially you new believers who are new in the faith that have become to follow Jesus recently, lobbying opposition at you like we see in today's text. Uh, you can even see that again back in, in verse 2, the unbelieving Jews, again, that we talked about. But take heart, my dear friends. If you're fighting many battles and unsure what that cause may be for why you're having so many battles do not discount the work of the enemy in your life today trying to crush your spirit trying to crush your words trying to crush your witness and to keep you from things of the lord i'm here to tell you to be strong and courageous in the lord today be strong and courageous not in your own strength not in your own resolve, but be strong and courageous in the Lord today. Verse 3 goes on and tells us that they stayed as long as they could, despite the opposition, and they left only when it was absolutely necessary. And they did this because they knew that these Christians in Iconium needed all the grounding that they could possibly have. So they stayed as long as they could. They talked about Jesus as much as they possibly could. Even against opposition, they stayed as long as they possibly could. The text says, it took a long time, however, for the opposition to become serious, so these missionaries continued to preach the gospel freely and boldly, bearing witness to the word of his grace and touching others with the power of Jesus. Here's what we say. Here's how we describe that very thing here at Refuge. We say that when we preach the gospel, we continue to do it, and we continue to do the same things over and over again. It's the same message, the same gospel message, the same slow trek in the same direction consistently over and over again. That's why when you come here, if you're new to Refuge, we're going to preach the gospel every week. If you get tired of hearing the gospel every week, then this is not the church for you. Just saying. We're going to preach the gospel every week. Amen, church? We're going, to preach, we're going to preach it from the text, but we're going to preach the gospel every week because it is the power of God and the salvation, not ten ways to be a new person. Thanks. Look at the end of verse 3. It said it was granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And so this is very important to understand. No apostle could work a miracle in and of himself. Nor was any sign or any wonder uh, brought to bear even by the greatest apostle uh, that, me that gets mentioned here. But a special moment or an event from God is what was happening there. God had granted something to happen in that moment for the things that were happening in and around what the, the circumstances that were going on. Uh, one commentator reminds us that this power was not resident in the apostles at all times. They couldn't just walk up and go, I'm going to do some miracle. It was a work of the Holy Spirit, and they were very aware that the Spirit was at work whenever he was at work, which seems like a good time for some pastoral counsel. We all long for the supernatural. I mean, we, we long to see something like almost magical take place, right? Whether you agree with me or not, it's true about you. We all long for that. Ooh, let me see that happen. Let, let, me, let me see something really cool go on here. Let me see something crazy happen here that just not out of the norm. So we all long for the supernatural, especially in times of despair and especially at times of uncertainty. We long for a deliverance many times in those times whenever we are, are, are weighted down and heavy laden with the, the cares of the world. And it's very easy to be drawn in by teachers and charlatans that desire to, take, to do nothing but take advantage of people in those situations. Very easy to be drawn in for someone that might even preach a different gospel than is what the true gospel is. And if you find yourself in that place today where you are in a place of despair or uncertainty or grief or something that is really heavy on your heart... By all means, if someone begins to play on your emotions, 
if someone begins to toy with taking you in a different direction, if someone begins to lead you down a different path that's away from Jesus, by all means, please come and find one of the elders in this church. Find one of your gospel community leaders in this church. Find any other Christian in this church and go, hey, this is what's happening to me right now. And by God's grace, we will shoot a wolf in a heartbeat. We will not allow people, if we know it, we will not allow people in your life to take you down a pathway that leads you away from the gospel. We will not allow it. Thank God we don't have that happening here. But if somebody slipped in and you got different ideas, we don't play here. Okay? That's your public service announcement for today. Now, back to their text. I'm serious about that. We don't play here. Don't play with our God's people here. All right, back to our text. These works being done by Paul and Barnabas, they were real. And, and this, the miraculous works that were happening were, were used at the time to co- just really confirm the message. This was new. Remember, the gospel was new, and it was breaking onto the scene. It was being spread out from Jerusalem, and so it was new, and so God used miraculous things during this time to confirm that this message is from God. And so this was not just a normative thing, but it was something that God used specifically, as we see it in the book of Acts, to confirm the fact that the gospel is actually true. Uh, So the word... uh, uh, um, And so the gospel is the gospel message. It is not always accompanied by miracles other than the miracle of moving us from death to life. And that's the good news that happens. And that being moved from from death to life is by grace through faith in Jesus alone. So this story tells us, uh, sorry, this story tells us uh, that when forced to, Paul and Barnabas left Iconium for Lystra. It's about 20 miles away. But their perseverance and the difficulty in Iconium didn't mean it was time for them to become martyrs. So they fled and moved on. And I would even say that the Spirit moved them on at that point to a different place. Let's keep moving. Acts uh, chapter 14, verse 7 through 10. In Lystra, a man is healed, uh, a lame man is healed, verse 7. And there came, uh, there continued to, uh, excuse me, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and he began to walk. And so the text tells us that despite the opposition, again, they could just continue to preach the gospel. They weren't afraid. They didn't care what people thought about them. They didn't care what opposition was coming to them. They just continued to preach the gospel. They just did it in a different location. And so Paul and Barnabas, again, did lots of miraculous works, and one of which is recorded in this passage. But listen, they didn't travel as miracle workers. That's not how they advertise themselves. Hey, the miracle workers are coming to town. Set up a tent. Let's see some miracles. That's not how they traveled. They traveled as ministers of the gospel. They traveled as, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to tell you, there is a miracle that happens when people get saved, but I'm I'm here to preach the gospel to you, always preaching the gospel. And sometimes there were healings that went along with that. The gospel has to be the message. Gospel has to be the main message. The gospel has to be the only message. The Bible tells us, Scripture said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek. Nothing else is the power of God and the salvation. Not miraculous works, not ten three points in a poem, but the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Verse 9 tells us, the crippled man heard Paul preach about Jesus, and when he heard about Jesus, his face and manner kind of showed that he believed that he could touch his life, and the Bible says he sprung up, whatever uh, he he was told to spring up, that he got up, and he made the important distinction from hearing the gospel to believing that something was actually going to happen. And that has to happen for each of us. 
You have to move from just hearing the gospel. Listen, I didn't become a Christian until I was 30. I heard the gospel preached hundreds, if not thousands of times. But I didn't hear the gospel. I heard the words, but I never heard it with my own being, with my heart, with my soul. The Spirit never awakened me to the gospel. So I can hear words. You can hear words and never be changed by the words. It's my prayer for each of you that the Spirit is awakening you, even now. Even as you walked in, even as we sang together, that emotions maybe that you were feeling, maybe the Spirit actually moving within you to say, listen, hear what is said. Believe the gospel. Some of you are just of little faith, though. Scripture speaks and says that very thing. Oh, you have little faith. I pray for great faith for you today to believe in the resurrected Jesus. Jesus calls us to believe. The Scripture calls us to believe. The Scripture calls us to recognize Jesus for who He is and to return from our sin and believe the good news of the gospel. This man in our text believed. There's something about this man's faith that was evident, and it's likely that God gave Paul the discernment so much that Paul knew that God intended to heal this man at that very moment. That's, that's what, it could be that way. That's not a de- definitive thing. It's just kind of my opinion about the text. F.F. Bruce says this, that this lame man had faith was made plain by his ready obedience to Paul's command to stand up. It was evident by that fact that he was ready to stand up whenever Paul said that very thing. It was a cool thing that happened. Let's see what happens after that. Verse 11. The excited crowd in Lystra uh, declare, uh, uh, excuse me, and when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they call Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And so, these crowds saw what happened. They probably knew this cat, you know, that had been lame. And, and they saw him like spring up. And they're like, oh my goodness, the gods have come down and done something amazing. And so did you see what the text said? They, they, they called them by their own gods' names. They, they didn't care what their names were. They were like, hey, um, uh, Barnabas, I, I'm going to call you Zeus. And, and you who are over there, I'm going to call you Hermes. And so they just renamed them because they thought they were actually the gods that came down. And so this miracle attracted a lots of attention, and even though it might have been unwanted. But even, just a reminder, the miracle saved no one. Look at verse 12. This is what 12 says. Again, I'm back to the thing. Sorry, I, I just preached past this. That's where they called them by the names. Let's keep going. Um, so the people in Lystra had this legend that, uh, that these Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, uh, had come down one time, and they were just like normal dudes. And so they dressed like normal dudes, they acted like normal dudes, they spoke like normal dudes, and yet there wasn't anybody in the city that actually uh, believed that they were the gods. Even though they told them who they were, nobody in the city except this one couple, this one older couple believed them. This was the legend during this time. Uh, And so Zeus and Hermes wiped out the entire city except for uh, this older couple. And so it could be why uh, they were so quick to call them gods because they, they might have known this. They probably knew this whole story of, of how the, these so-called Greek gods came and wiped out this city. And so as soon as they saw something big happen, they were like, uh, hey, you're Zeus and you're Hermes, okay? We're good. We recognize you. I mean, you've come down as normal dudes, but, but we recognize. So you got to be Zeus and you got to be Hermes. I don't know if that's how it happened or not, but that's the way it seemed like they were quick to call them gods and quick to name them so that they wouldn't like wipe them out again. I don't know if that's what happened, but it seems like that's what might have been uh, going on. But Paul and Barnabas, it says that they, these, these people began to praise them in their own language. Look at verse 13 again. What does uh, verse 13 say here in chapter 14? It says, And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with 
the crowds. Uh, and so Paul and Barnabas knew, like, hey, things are going a little bit too far. Th- this, is, this is too far. We, we are not here for you to worship us. I know that God has just done something, but you're attributing it to us men. This has gone too far. And and so let's read on and see what happened. Look in uh, verse uh, 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is within them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways yet he did not leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with foods and gladness even with all these words they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them and so paul looks at the crowd and he's like stop worshiping me stop as a matter of fact 14 says they were very forceful whenever they said that it says that they tore their clothing and if you know anything about the culture during that time uh, that means that they were like this is like hey this is blasphemy what you're doing is blasphemous you're calling me god and i'm not god and so they tore their clothes in a way of saying hey you got this all wrong You're worshiping the wrong person. Look at verse 15. Um, These are strong words from Paul to the people who who took their pagan worship seriously. But Paul was not afraid to confront them with the truth. He said, your idolatry is wrong. Look what he says. Men, why are you doing these things? We are men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, and all that is within them. He said, turn from the fact that you're trying to worship me. I am not to be worshipped. They were making an idol out of men. So what's your idol? What have you made an idol in your life? Think about that. What is so important to you? What is so important to you? If you're watching online, what is so important to you that it has taken the preeminence in your life? See, this is no game, church. This is no game when it comes to where our affections lie. It's no game whenever we go, this is the most important thing in my life. Paul and Barnabas would have no part in this, and you and I should not either. Put away those false religious idols. I know many of you in this church family come from different religious backgrounds. You've grown up in different traditions of the faith. And some within some of those sects, S-E-C-T-S, sects of religious backgrounds, came with little idols and things that you might have worshipped or things that you might have prayed to instead of the living God. Put away those false religious idols. Put away those false traditional idols that you have set up or maybe your family had set up in your life. Put away those false religious idols because they are of no value when it comes to your relationship with God. Put away those long-standing family idols, whatever they may be in your family. Put in the proper place those small human idols that live in your home or bear your name. Your children make terrible gods. Put away anything, anything that draws your allegiance away from King Jesus, who is the rescuer of your eternal soul. What a blasphemous thing to do to set anything in the place of King Jesus. Today, put it to death. Put it to death. 
just as Paul told them more about Jesus and what he had done, he especially wanted them to turn from these useless things to the living God. Jesus couldn't be just added to their pagan ways. Do you see that? He said, turn for these. This is not an addition. Here's what I'm doing over here, and I'm adding Jesus to part of the backpack. That's not Christianity. Some of you practice Christianity that way. Here's what I do. This is who I am, and I've added on Jesus, and I carry him with me, and he's convenient whenever I need him. I pull him out of my backpack. I pull him out of my fanny pack. Just kidding. Uh, I pull him out of something whenever I need him to come out, like a genie in a bottle. That's not Christianity. Christianity says we forsake all things, and our allegiances belong to King Jesus. Trouble hearing this? Preacher, I'm not sure you know what you're talking about. You think so? Let's look in Luke chapter 14. You don't have to just write this down, because uh, I'm going to read it to you right now. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, he's talking about Jesus, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot say cannot. He cannot be my disciple. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot say cannot. Cannot be my disciple. 28. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish it. All who see it begins to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goes out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether or not he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet great way off, he sends his delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of one who does not renounce all, renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a little bit extreme, don't you think, preacher? Maybe, but that's what Jesus said. He says, you, me, nobody can be his disciple unless he becomes preeminent, which means the top space in our life. Is that where it is with you? Paul called the Lystrian crowd to consider the real God. One who stood before all creation. Not one of their lesser or imaginary Greek gods. And Paul mentions in Acts 17, he's like, he did good, he gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness, just like the rest of things Paul would talk about. Uh, and they would think that Zeus might have given them. Paul told them that the blessings of these things came from the true God who lives in heaven and rules and reigns, and it's not the gods, the fake gods, Zeus, that they had trusted in. Paul didn't preach to these pagan worshipers like he might have those who had known the Scriptures before. He didn't necessarily hearken back to Moses or to David or some of the Old Testament Scriptures because they wouldn't have known them. They would have had no reference for knowing them. Some of you may not know what those are, and so I'm not hearkening back to some Old Testament saint to you. I'm just telling you that there are some things that you think are valuable in your life, and, and there are. We, we have things that are valuable to us, our families, our jobs, our, our neighborhoods, our homes, these are valuable to us. But when they become the most important thing over a relationship with the king of the universe, when they ha we have set them up as idols. And Paul says those are idols to be crushed. Today's text is about the power of God on display. And the mixed reviews that came along with the power of God on display. Sometimes it's rejoicing. I would dare say that I've watched your, many of your faces. Some of them are expressionless. Thank you for encouragement. Um, some of you are very expressive, and I'm very thankful for that. I, I gained some uh, energy and some momentum as you smile and nod and uh, give me the thumbs up. Uh, so I appreciate all of you who do that. Uh, but some of 
uh, uh, today, so today's text um, is about some who rejoice in the good news of the gospel, some who revile the good news of the gospel. Saw that from the very from the jump. Rejoicing over the gospel, man, this is fantastic. I've been rescued from my sin. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I've been made new. I am. I was a dead man, and I am a new, alive man walking. And some reviled it and made fun and said, let's kill these dudes who are preaching the gospel. Some of you may not believe the gospel today. You may not want to kill me yet, but your hatred toward the gospel and the things of God, some tells us that sometimes hate in our hearts are just like wishing that people were dead. Today's text is about the power of God on display and people having their affections and their admiration directed sometimes toward the wrong people. Remember, they, they worshipped men instead of the living God. They worship false gods instead of the living God. It's one of my great fears for us, Refuge Church. Sometimes we can become so accustomed to church and we can, can become so accustomed to what we do in, in following Jesus that we can, can become so accustomed to hearing the gospel that it just becomes old hat and wrote to us where we don't listen and engage around the things of God. It is my fear for us as a church family that as we go into a place, as we keep moving forward, that can become some of us and we become deaf to the good news of the gospel. Today, each of us are faced with the same message that both Paul and Barnabas preached in these cities in Acts 14. It's a decision that you kind of have to make, not kind of, you have to make when facing the living God. And how will you respond? Do you rejoice over the gospel being preached? Or do you recoil over the gospel being preached? Do you rejoice at hearing about the things of God and the fact that we're going to baptize someone today? Does that stir in your heart affections toward the one true God who is rescuing people from the sin and death? Is that something that stirs you up and goes, this person was dead in their trespasses and sins, but now they are alive in Christ Jesus? Those should stir our affections toward the things of God. That God rescued this person just like he rescued me, and if you're a Christian, just like he rescued you. Or do you revile these things and say these things are useless and worthless? Do you direct your hope in the deliverer of the gospel? Like they were looking to Paul and Barnabas? Do you put your hope in that, hey, I've got a preacher that preaches the gospel and I want to go make sure I hear him? I hope not. Or do you direct your hope in the fulfiller of the gospel, the one we de- that we proclaim? His name is Jesus. That's where our hope is found. That's where our hope is found. There's only one right answer. And like the text displays today, I, w- I would hope that we would all be like Paul and Barnabas or, or take, a, take a cue from Paul and Barnabas in our text today. To be immovable, Christian. They didn't care where they were. They didn't care where they got sent. But they were immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, they had a resolve not to retreat. No matter where they sent, no matter where the Spirit took them, no matter they were driven out of a city, they had a resolve, no matter where they were, not to retreat from preaching the gospel. And because of that, they rejoiced in Jesus and the good news that Jesus rescues sinners like you and me. The purpose, listen, the purpose of the apostles healing this lame man was not simply for the lame man's sake. Okay, you get that, right? I mean, he benefited from it. I'm sure he was really glad that he was part of that plan. He probably didn't like the previous part of it where he was lame for so long, but I'm sure he rejoiced that the Lord had chosen him to receive that healing at that time. 
But the purpose for this was to rejoice in Jesus, the power that he had displayed in and through his apostles at that time. Refuge, I want us to rejoice. Be a people who celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Whether that be here in this church or whether we hear about the church down the street. Can we be those people that rejoice with other churches? Can, can we be those people that go, man, look what God is doing over there. That's fantastic that people are coming to know the Lord. Can we, like, can we be happy about those things? I want us to be those people that rejoice in the work of the Lord, not just here at Refuge. And then I want you to remember that the same Jesus that we read about in our scriptures from Acts chapter 14, that they were proclaiming in Acts 14 is the same today. The great healer is who he was, not simply of our infirmities, but of our soul, of our dead souls who were quickened. For those of us in Christ, our dead, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. By grace, we have been saved. That same Jesus is at work today. That same Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to be at work today. That same Jesus is the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. He is the one we proclaim. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. See, Paul and Barnabas knew this, and I want you to know this too. This I'm closed. Jesus is the only name that is worth all of your adoration. All of your hope, all of your worship, all of your treasure, all of your life. In Him, in Jesus, you will find the fullness and the joy that only Jesus can bring. And so I ask you today, will you come to Jesus? That's my hope for you. If today, the Spirit is whispering in your ear, whispering even into your soul, whispering even into your heart, that still small voice that's saying is, hey, you may think you're part of mine, but you are not, and you are outside the household of faith today. Or maybe you know that you've walked in and you're outside the household of faith today. The Holy Spirit has sent me here to proclaim to you that there's life and there's hope found in Jesus. Will you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Will you believe in your heart with all your being that God has raised him from the dead? If so, like many others that we read about in our text today, you will be saved today. Will you come to Jesus? I hope you will. Let's pray.